Emotional morning, gosh. Anyway, um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 for us in this whole sermon series has been the stump that we've, we've sort of stumbled over as we've kind of gone in circles around the forest of the scriptures lately. Um, but we're not lost. I don't believe we're lost at all. I believe that God is making things clearer through a more concerted effort or focus on these verses. Um, and as we look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, they, we know that they urge us to personal sacrifice or personal submission towards Jesus. And what follows in, further in chapter 12 moves on to how the church is governed by love. The church is governed by love. So this vertical loving connection with, with Jesus translate into a, into a horizontal loving connection in community. And that is a really very real practical thing, which we're going to talk about uh, this week. But let's recap a little bit of last week, because this is basically a continuation of last week's sermon. Firstly, we said last week that we, that, uh, we talked of spiritual formation in the social dimension, right? Where we must first, as people of, of faith, we must first know uh, Jesus as not only Savior, but also as Lord, that we all come under His Lordship, right? And that's expressed in Ephesians 2. Salvation is outlined there. It says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Very familiar verses, but very real uh, and important verses for us as, as believers. Salvation, in other words, being an, uh, a gracious act of God towards us. Something that we did not deserve, did not ask for on our own, but He gave it to us as a gift. He woke us up and He made us alive. And that produces, or should produce in us, a grateful response of obedience, of sa- submission, of sacrifice in relationship to Him and what He calls us to in the world. Secondly, we said that in having experienced God's saving grace, right, uh, experienced that salvation, we, we have been brought into the fellowship of the body of Christ, right? And that is in its local expression, right? The local church. I'm not talking in generalities about the greater body of Christ in the world. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it, right? Living in unity uh, together in the uh, living in unity under the kingdom reign of God uh, together as people, right? A, a glimpse of heaven on earth. We said, however imperfectly re- we reflect that at times, but an example or a witness to society around us as to the health and vitality that is found and practiced under Christ's loving guidance in the individual and then extending out towards our community, right? Thirdly, we said that in our pursuit of spiritual formation, we realize that relationships also must be transformed, that relationships must be changed, Right? It's not just me and Jesus, right? The gospel is not an individualistic endeavor, right? We affect and infect each, other, uh, each other's faith journey, and, and, and ministry is largely done as a unit, as a body. It's not this Western individualistic thing. 
It's never just me and Jesus. And I think through the 80s and 90s, we perpetuated that in the evangelical church. But it's never just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and you. Or all of you, I should say. And we, what we find out is that we are, we are either pushing forward or we are holding back our faith community in our spiritual formation process and witness either positively or negatively. Remember, everyone, everyone is being spiritually formed. Everybody. Right? It's a question of either being formed towards Christ-likeness or not, away from Christ-likeness. If it's in the positive, as individuals practice Romans 12, 1 and 2, we begin to see transformation of not only individuals, but also communities. The whole body, right? A communal loving witness of Jesus as a witness to the world, right? John 13, uh, a new command I give you, love one another. It's good to hear this stuff over and over again, by the way. It, I mean, you might feel bored, but you'll not, you'll not forget it, right? <laughs> a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you get it all right. Not if you do it all perfectly. Not if you, you know, don't do this or don't do that. Not all that. If you love one another. That is the greatest witness. That is the sure mark of those that have been and are being spiritually formed in Jesus, people who love one another. It's as simple as that. And it is specified in the idea, just as I have loved you, he said, you must love one another. And that, by the way, is a love that goes beyond the normal expression of love in society, which lays down its life for others, 1 John 3.16, and which extends even to our enemies, Matthew chapter 5. That's a new kind of love. However, neglecting to pursue this spiritual formation and live out of Romans 12.1 and 2, we tend to practice, as we said last week, uh, some form of either assault or withdrawal in relationships. Assault or withdrawal. We live out of the old self, so to speak. So from a position of woundedness, of the old self, we tend to sometimes assault others when we act against that which is good for them, even, and we said this last week and we gave examples, even when we have their consent in doing so. When somebody lets me lead them down the wrong path, in other words. Or, We withdraw, which is another form of assault, by the way, when we intentionally disregard another person's well-being. In other words, we are indifferent to them. We just don't care. We don't show up. We don't do anything with them. We don't talk to them. We don't care for them. Anything like that. And neither of those things, assault or withdrawal, reflect the community that God wants to build or is building in this world. Nor do they bring life to us. Rather, they bring death to us. They bring death to our relationships. 1 John 3.14, anyone who does not love remains in death. It's a simple axiom of life. It's a truth, right? So to close out last week and to go on and close out this week, let's look today at four major elements that we can apply in order to experience life and see relationships transformed, increasing our love for one another, and therefore our witness to the, uh, as the local body of Christ to this community around us. 
because we have our our relationships out there, and people are watching us. They're noticing us. I was just at a few events for, uh, that are connected with our kingdom opportunities through our community groups, and people do notice us. They talk about us, right? So they are watching. And that first, the first thing that we want to address today is to see ourselves as God sees us, and that is whole in Christ. If you are in Jesus, if you are giving your life to Jesus, you are whole in Christ, right? To view ourselves differently in Christ than we may have ever seen before or thought before. Not as the walking wounded, retreating and attacking each other, but as healthy, loved, and, uh, and safe and accepted individuals engaging in healthy ways with others, even our enemies, even those people that we disagree with. Whole people who do not need to compensate for past wounds. Whole people in Christ who do not need to live out of their neediness. Whole people in Christ who do not need to live out of their bitterness and their anger. Thinking of ourselves as whole in Christ isn't a psychological parlor trick to sort of put one over on our subconscious self. It's not psychological self-help. Right? It is not. Rather, it is a scriptural reality. It is a scriptural truth that you must choose to believe about yourself. A real power that you can live out of. And I fully believe that. To view the old self with all of its putridity and woundedness as dead and gone, as scripture states, is where we need to go. You are different. In Christ, you've changed. Something's happened to you. Paul wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the newest cre- new creation has come, the old is gone, the new has come, right? Or the new is here. The old self, Scripture tells us, the old self need not govern your life any longer. As Romans 6.14 says, Sin shall not be your master. You've exchanged masters. You have a benevolent, loving, gracious king over your life. You've died to all that other stuff. It has been, you've been made whole and new in Jesus. I can't say this strongly enough, right? You may have heard the story of the old man speaking to his grandson. It's an old Cherokee uh, uh, story where he's talking to his grandson and, and he says, a terrible fight between two wolves is going on inside us all. I hate using this illustration. I I think everybody's heard this, but it it fits. One's evil. He's anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. And the other wolf is good. He's joy and peace and love and hope and serenity and humility and kindness and benevolence and empathy and generosity and truth and compassion and faith. And the little boy asks, which wolf will win the fight? And the old man replied, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. Right? And that's a very true thing. Scripture calls us to regard that old self as dead and gone and put away. Call, it calls us to feed the new self. And that is the spiritual formation process. To feed the new wolf. Right? The good wolf. Which is, which is whole in Christ. It is a totally different creature, a different way of looking at life. Think about how many old tapes play in your head. Silence them, right, with Christ. 
Our lives in Jesus are whole and blessed, whether or not we want to admit it or not. No matter what has or hasn't been said or done to us in the past, or said or been done by us in the past. That doesn't matter in Jesus. Seeing ourselves as whole in Christ extracts all the poison from relationships, allowing us to practice love and forgiveness in our relationships together. Jesus' wholeness in the Father is the reason that He could say while He was hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? He was whole in that divine, loving relationship with the Father. Nothing they did to Him could change His standing with the Father. He was secure in that. Therefore, He could react in love and not in anger or bitterness, even when His life was brutally being taken from Him. Because He was secure in Christ. He was secure in the Father's relationship. Christ imputed, learn a new word today, Christ imputed His righteousness to you, right? Let's increase our vocabulary. Amen. God bless you, right? Let's increase our vocabulary. Christ imputed His righteousness to you. His perfect record, which satisfied the demands of the moral law of God, has been ascribed to you in Him. That's a big big truth. It's what's made you right with God the Father. And that's what we call righteousness or the righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness is what God sees when He looks on you now. He doesn't see all that junk in the past. The truth of the matter is that we as humanity, all of us as individuals and collectively, have stood as guilty before the judge. And everybody's going to be judged. And He has sentenced us to death for our sin and life. That is the truth. But in a strange twist of the story, the judge took off his robe and stepped down off the bench and he embraced us and he said, I'll take your sentence upon myself. Exchanging his perfect record for ours. Amen, right? What? what? Yeah, hallelujah, amen. I thought you were correcting my grammar. I was like, I'll take that. Uh, (laughs) hallelujah that's right amen there are so many plenty of verses that that speak of christ's righteousness being laid upon us and a few of them are first corinthians 130 says jesus has become our righteousness our holiness and our redemption right romans 10 4 states christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, God made him who had no sin to, to be sin for us. Remember the judge stepped off the bench, right? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, that word sounds so arrogant, but it's not. It just means we're rightly related with God, right? In Philippians 3.9, Paul states he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And all of this, when you have that, and you realize that wholeness in Christ, means that you're safe in him. You're okay in him. Colossians 3.3 says, For you died 
Spiritually, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You've been resurrected to new life. You're a new creation. The old self dead, resurrected only at the behest of my will. When I feed that old wolf, when I decide to give it something to eat, which is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation is seized you except for what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will, he will uh, what, was his, what does he say? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Even in temptation, I do not have to feed that old wolf. I don't have to do it. There is a way out. Understanding that we do live in a tension, that the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is sometimes weak. Right? This is a, a battle. And this is a foundational truth of, of Christianity, of you and me and Jesus. Right? We are made whole in Christ. But I don't think we all often live like that or think like that or, or, or get it. <laughs> right? And there are many resources out there to better understand this more deeply, one of the resources that I love is the Sonship Course, developed by Jack Miller, who used to live over here in Roxborough, and he's uh, long since been dead and gone. But wonderful course. If you want to walk through that with somebody, it's good to walk through with somebody that's already been through it. I would love to walk through it with you, and there are plenty of people in this crowd that have already been through it a number of times and love to walk through that with people. Uh, great course. Philip Yancey's book. I love Philip Yancey. Just a sweet guy. But um, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace is a good book. Uh, the Jesus I Never Knew is a good book. Rosemary Miller's book, Jack's Wife, From Fear to Freedom. Great little book. Easy read, quick read. Probably read it in a day, probably, you know, or a day or two. Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God, is a wonderful book to see, see this all fleshed out. His, his study on Galatians is a really great resource for this stuff. Martin Luther's study on Galatians is, is phenomenal. It's powerful. And actually, it's, uh, a lot of that is in the Sonship Course. You know, just going back through these sermons, listening to them again, or looking up the verses that we've used and memorizing those verses is extremely helpful. I've also printed out um, this list that we have before, uh, given out here before, the Who Am I in Christ verses. Uh, eight pages of just good, nah, nah, eat that up, man. That's like that stuff that'll feed your soul right there. Start to memorize those. Start to live out of that truth, and, and you'll see your life change, right? So I have a few copies of those, 25, I think. Uh, and I can email that to you uh, if that's easier for you. But there is plenty, plenty, plenty more out there where we can learn this stuff. We're not at a loss for resources or for information in America as Christians, right? You can walk down the street to a Christian bookstore someplace. You can get on Amazon and buy Christian uh, materials. You can go to christianbookworld.com and get anything you need. Right? We have first world access. When I was in Lampung, Indonesia, you'd have to drive to Jakarta like 18, 20 hours away and be on a hot boat for like four hours like with everybody smoking clove cigarettes around you, puking on the deck and all that kind of garbage and going into bathrooms that they haven't cleaned in a century and all this kind of garbage. And, and many times those boats sank just to go to a Christian bookstore. You couldn't go online and have it just delivered, Amazon Prime, boink, got it there tomorrow. You can't do that there. You have first world access. Only, only 
Only our indifference holds us back. That's it. That's it. When we understand our wholeness in Christ, then we can take the next step and we can abandon all defensiveness. We can abandon all defensiveness. Within the confines of a healthy Christian community, we can let down our guard. The intensity of competition, of -of out-of-control desires, of overpowering false-felt needs aren't governing the interactions of the faithful who offer their bodies as living sacrifices, who aren't conforming to the patterns of this world, and who are being transformed by the renewing of their minds. Assault and withdrawal don't have their place in such communities. Or at the very least, they aren't tolerated at any great level. They don't become the cultural norm. They're not the everyday practice. They are the anomaly. When Christ reigns, not just as Savior, fuzzy, fuzzy Jesus, but as Lord over all of us, Wholeness rules our hearts and we are open to being known and knowing others for who they really are. No longer do we feel the need to practice evasiveness and self-justification and deceit and secrecy and manipulation and all those things. We don't have to gossip. We don't have to hurt people. We don't have to assault. We don't have to withdraw. In short, the desire to look good in front of others is diminished and killed off. And a great place to see what that kind of person looks like is to study uh, Matthew chapters 5 and, five and 6. Great place to see it. Or you can go and go on our website or I can email it to you, the Mature Christian Profiles, which are linked to our, our 6-8 vision values. I think that's a great way to see where a mature Christian living out of this stuff looks like. The Sonship Course, like I've already said, also has a great outline of what a mature Christian is. They, he, uh, he uses the idea of us living as orphans or living as true sons and daughters of God. And when you're living as a true son or daughter of God, you're living in this love and this power. When you're living as an orphan, you're always living out of your neediness and your manipulation and your hurt and all that kind of stuff. But that's a great, great, great resource. If you don't take the Sonship Course, at least look at that list. Awesome. Which all leads us into the third element. Love predominates in Christian community. Love predominates in Christian community. When believers in Jesus submit themselves to his lordship and they allow spiritual formation to root and to flourish and and drop defensiveness, pretense evaporates like water droplets on a hot skillet. Right? It just goes away. And what we're left with is integrity and fidelity which reign. And and that is the fertile soil which love can grow in. Those who experience salvation in Jesus become His disciples, His followers, doing as He did in the world, living as He did in the world, leading to to their place in the church body. And that's where we practice it for the most part. Now, as I said earlier, speaking in generalities and abstractions about the greater body of Christ, the the global body of Christ across the world, always allows us an out. We can just kind of get lost in all that, 
because it's too big. There's too many people to think about. It's true. You are part of the global body of Christ. That's true. But I want to avoid the propensity towards such speech. We are speaking practically, which I think the Scriptures drive us towards, towards the local church where we have direct influence with immediate neighbors, right? In our interactions of the body, love is to be our witness to the world that, uh, that, that we belong to Jesus, that we are followers of Jesus together, that we're loving each other well, that this is a little bit of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a little bit of what heaven looks like. And this is where Paul defines it for us, at least in one place. Uh, firstly, uh, he says we'd all be carrying out these tasks in, in, in the body with grace and with power supplied by God as seen in verses 3 through 8 of Romans chapter 12. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has d- distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all, all have the same function, so, we, we, so in Christ we, though, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have, we have different gifts, according to the grace given to each one of us. If, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it, is, uh, if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, that's not an exhaustive listing of all the stuff that a body of Christ does together, but it reveals God's mind to empower us as we consider ourselves not only part of the local church body, but also belonging to it and beholden to it, connected to it, Right? A realistic, humble people with unique giftings to contribute to the building of Christ's kingdom through the ministry of the local expression of Jesus. Together, us, doing this here in this geographical place, reaching out to people like at Linwood Park. or these shops, or your neighbors right around your house. You know, or Palm, where we've served for years. You know, things like that. And that is why showing up and engaging in the activities and the vision of your local church is so important. The heart of our church is our community groups. It's not this service. It's our community groups that are connected to our kingdom opportunities. It is so easy with life's difficulties to withdraw from that. I would challenge you not to do that. The fall, we're going to start back up again. I would love to see those full and vibrant and powerful and for Steph to have a constant headache of to where to put us out in this community. A constant headache. I want her to be sleepless at night worrying about how, what she's going to do with all these people. It is very easy to withdraw from that. But we... As people of God, in this local context, if you are a member, if you've been here more than five years, it's easy to withdraw. But we signed the dotted line. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. We want to show up. We want to engage. Right now, we have the opportunity and the relationship set to see the kingdom of God break out into this community more than ever before. But it will not happen if we withdraw. If we withdraw our love 
and we would draw our influence. It's not, see, this is not the picture of the individual going to church and getting fed and going home to their personal ministry. That's not the picture of the Scriptures. Disconnected from their local body. Individualistic. That's not the picture of the church. It's the picture of the body working together, doing ministry as a unit. All the different giftings working together. Loving each other along the way. Loving the world as a witness for Jesus as they watch us interact with each other. Then Paul, further on, outlines qualities exhibited by those collective bodies professing Jesus in verses 9 through 21. It's way too lengthy to read. I'm not going to read it for you. I'll say that, but I will paraphrase it as Willard has done in his book, and you can check our work together as you come to community group. He says, those people the body of Christ would do these following things. They would let love be completely real. They would abhor what is evil. They would cling to what is good. They would be devoted to one another in a family-like love. They would outdo one another in giving honor. The only place competition comes in is how, how much you're loving each other, right? How you're caring for each other, how you're honoring each other, right? They would serve the Lord with ardent spirit and diligence and all diligence. They would rejoice in hope. They would be patient in trouble. They would be devoted constantly to prayer. They would contribute to the needs of the saints. They would pursue hospitality. They would bless persecutors and not curse them. They would be joyful with those who rejoice and sorrowful with those in sorrow. They would live in harmony with each other. They would not be haughty but fit in with the lowly. They would not see themselves as wise. They would never repay evil for evil. They would have regard for what is right. They would be at peace with everyone as far as it depends on the person. They would leave revenge for God. They would provide for needy enemies. Uh, They wouldn't be overwhelmed by evil, but they would overwhelm evil with good. Yeah, amen. It's a great picture of the church. A list which defines, at least in part, what the local church looks like as individuals submit themselves to Christ, find wholeness, and drop defensiveness, and they allow love to dominate in relationships. And the result of that is that it transforms families, it transforms children, it transforms marriages, it transforms individuals, it transforms local communities, and it transforms the world. And I want you to remember that Jesus only started with 12 guys. And look around this room, we've got a lot more than that here. We are not a small church. We are a huge body of Christ in this community. We have the propensity and the power to reach these, this community like you've never seen before. Not just 12. How many are here today? I don't know. 90? I don't know what it is. But that is a lot of people if we engage in the process. If we do it. Finally, this drives to our fourth and final point. Our fourth and final element of transform relationships in Christ. And that is that we become people who extend themselves in blessing and redemption, devoting our lives to the service and the betterment of others. An ongoing task, an ongoing task which won't be exhausted until Christ returns. And it it does involve our verbal witness of the gospel. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The Great Commission. Go and baptize. Go and, uh, you know, you remember. I can't remember it right now. 
but go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you know, blah, 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 teaching them to, to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, Jesus wants, he's called us to do this stuff, right? And this is marked by a people who along that journey care for people in practical goodness uh, for those in need. That is not our central focus. The gospel is our central focus. But as we go along, we do show ourselves to be people who care for those in need. Remembering, though, that we can become, and we talked about this last week, and I think it's very important right now in this, this time, uh, that we can become paralyzed, we can become angry, we can become frantic with all the opportunities and the issues presented to us through the news and the social media right now. Every month there's a new one. But I want to remind you that a few months back, the big issue was the Syrian refugee crisis. 6-8 did something about that. We just sent two women over there for uh, a time to minister to people directly affected by that. We have poured our money into loving these people and caring for these people. We pray about other issues, but we can't do everything. We can't involve ourselves in every little issue that comes up. We can't get all frantic about that stuff. We have to remember we are doing something. We are a local body of chites. We're huge in one way, but we're small in another. We only have so much, right? We have, only have so much mental bandwidth, mental time, mental energy, and resources, and funds, and, and money, and all that kind of stuff to, to give away. But we're going to do this as well as we can, as well as we can, right? So we focus our minds, we focus our hearts and deeds mostly on those which we can touch and talk with. Not that we don't give to greater issues out there. We are given to the Syrian refugee issue, right? Um, not that we don't pray for uh, families to be united and not be torn apart in the immigration issue. We do. We all pray for that. We all want, you know, wholeness there. But we especially want to focus on our geographical neighbors because that's the, those are the people that we can touch and talk and, and share with and, and verbally share Jesus with and all that kind of stuff. I'm a little bit hyped up. We are limited in this task. We are limited in this task. Remembering the Holy Spirit is with us as we walk along this. It says in John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus is talking, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Even in very difficult times when you're lost for words, the advocate will intercede on your behalf. Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Drinking in Jesus through the spiritual formation process, we overflow Him to others. Placing yourself under the water spout, right? Under the living water spout. Being a vessel of the Spirit of God. A bucket that is just filling up with Him. Being filled with His Word and being filled with His Spirit. God overflows in and through you to others. John 4.14, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. John 7, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. 
Those are great promises. When we could continue just to quote verse and verse and verse and verse and verse and all that stuff. But the fact remains that people who submit themselves fully to Christ in worship, Romans 12, 1 and 2, refuse to conform to the patterns of this world, allow their minds to be renewed by God, not following all that junk out there, but become people who realize that they are whole, who put away defensiveness, who allow love to dominate and, and become redemptive, gracious people to others. That's the church. Giving local communities, everybody out there, a glimpse, however imperfectly reflected, of heaven on earth. That's the church. We want to be the church. We want to be engaged. So I would challenge you, if you've been here more than five years, if you are a member of this church, you've signed, you've gone through the Explorer class, which we're going to have another one soon, if you've gone through the Explorer class, if you sign on a dotted line, and if you found yourself withdrawing, get back in the game. Because this is, this is your one chance. This is your one chance to do something great for, the God, for God. I was talking with my friend the other day who just moved today um, to the Middle East. I forget exactly where he was going. But he moved his family to the Middle East and he said, you know what? I just get so tired of people like so scared of doing this, so scared of doing that. You know, Jesus died for us and he's like taking his, his, his wife over there and just saying I'm not coming back because he wants to minister to Muslims. You know, if, if, if CNN had a uh, correspondent a thousand years ago, where would they have been? They'd been in Beirut. They'd been right at the center of all the garbage that we are still blessing right now. We are doing great things. We have relationships in this community that are really starting to be open for the gospel. And the satanic temptation is to withdraw and go silent and stay with your clique and not meet the new person and not shake a hand and not love each other and not care. I want to see more. I want to see more. And if anybody knows me, I'll quit and go sell, sell something, you know, before I, I have to lead a church like that. Not that you guys are doing that, but I do know people, and I know myself. It is so easy to withdraw. Let's not do that. Amen? We have great opportunities. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the great opportunities. I thank you for the history of this church. I thank you for what you've done in and through this church and what you are doing in and through these people right now and in myself right now. I thank you that we still are in the game and we are not losing it. But I do pray that you would, your spirit would guard us. You would guard us from the sin of withdrawal. You would guard us from the sin of assault that would seek to, to tear us apart. We pray that you would surround this church. And I, when I say the church, I don't mean this building. I mean the people of this church. I pray that you would surround each and every one of their households, their families, their children, their parents, all just surround them with protection, spiritual protection and blessing. We renounce all the works of the devil on these people's lives. We renounce evil. 
We renounce anything that would seek to break us apart or hurt us or keep us from doing our vision. We renounce anything of satanic attack that would try to keep us from moving forward in the kingdom of God. Father, I pray that this year coming ahead would be a a year that we see the, the kingdom break out in new and powerful ways as we fully engage in what you've called us to do. And we thank you for that. Is that you? You can pray for us.